I'm Al Filris, and this is Poem Talk at the Writer's House, where I have the pleasure of convening three friends in the world of poetry and poetics to collaborate on a close but not too close reading of a poem. We'll talk, maybe even disagree a bit, and perhaps open up the verse to a few new possibilities, and we hope gain for a poem that interests us some new readers and listeners. And I say listeners because Poem Talk poems are available in recordings made by the poets themselves as part of our Pen Sound archive, writing.upenn.edu slash pensound. Once again, Poem Talk has gone on the road, this time to Vancouver, British Columbia, where I've been joined by my colleagues Chris Martin and Zach Cardiner, and where we are being generously hosted by Lucy O'Cook and Dick Cook and their family here at their home. And this special episode of Pump Talk is being recorded before a live audience here in Lucy's living room. And I'll ask this nice group of poets and poetry readers, Vancouver-based friends of the Kelly Writers House and of Modpo, to signal their presence by putting their hands together to thank our hosts, Lucy and her family. Yay! And now, and now, as I introduce our three Poem Talk talkers, I'll ask the very same happy crowd of auditors to give it up for them each in turn. First, there's Fred Waugh, right over here. Fred Waugh. Yay! <laughs> who, <laughs> who was born in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, a better named town I can't possibly imagine and grew up in British Columbia, uh, author of some 20 chapbooks and collections of poems, among them just to pick a few titles, Waiting for Saskatchewan, winner of a Canadian Governor General's Award, So Far, winner of a Stevenson Award, and Is Adore, my own favorite, and many others, former Canadian Parliamentary Poet Laureate, whose critical works include Faking It, Poetics and Hybridity, Critical Writing, 1984-1999, and Meredith Quatermain. That is a name because I've got Bronx Bronx speaking, I find Quatermain, anyway, Quatermain, Meredith Quatermain, a Toronto-born poet, novelist, short story writer, teacher, and anthologist whose family moved to, is it Argenta, mm -hmm. British Columbia, whereupon she attended UBC, and after which she has practiced law, worked as a computer systems analyst, and has taught at UBC, Capilano College, now Capilano University, Simon Fraser University, and served as writer-in-residence at the Vancouver Public Library, who has published 14 books and edited some seven anthologies, and whose wonderful collection, Vancouver Walking, won the Dorothy Livesay Poetry Prize. And finally, I'm joined by Daphne Marlott, whose recent books include Reading Sveva 2016, series of poems in response to the life, art, and thought of the Italian-Canadian painter Sveva Caetani, The Gull, a contemporary Canadian no play, 2009, and Rivering, the poetry of Daphne Marlotte, a volume of selected poems, and Liquidities, Vancouver Poems Then and Now, 2013, and who worked with Susan Holbrook on an edition of Collected Earlier Poems which was published in a gorgeous volume, which I'm holding up by Talon Books as intertitle. Fred, thank you so much for joining us. This, I think, is your third poem talk. Anyway, it's great to see you. I think it's, one, it's wonderful to be in this, uh, in, in this company again, Ellen, and uh, that the way that you've set this up is just 
<laughs> I just always love it. I love it. I just love Thank it. Thank you. We yeah. had a we uh, Colin Brown joined us, and the two of you were in Philly, and we did one uh, mm, about a Larissa right. Lie poem. That's right. Which was so much fun. And at that point, I said, "Well, I, we're going to come to Vancouver. I swear." And here we are. Yes, you did it. You did well, it. Welcome to Vancouver. Thank you, Meredith. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining it's us. Such a pleasure to be here. It's great. And Daphne. Yeah, well, thank you, Al. Thank you as so always. much. Yeah. I'm really excited about this. And um, so today, the four of us have gathered here to talk about a poem by Daphne. It's called Arriving and was published in the 1981 book Here and There. Is mm -hmm. 1981 That's right? right? It seems to have been written during, or at least about, a summertime gathering of poet friends in the Kootenays in July 1980. The book is dedicated to my fellow swimmers <laughs> and arriving the first poem in the group has a dedication which reads for fred and pauline and that of course would be our own fred wah who's sitting up here with us right here and pauline butling who is in our audience fred's wife whom i'm happy to say is here in the audience normally for poem talk we play a recording of our poem from the Pensound archive where indeed daphne has an excellent author page but as that page does not include a performance of Arriving, and as Daphne is right here anyway, we will now ask her to read it for us with her special reading glasses, which were just imported from Seattle via Denver. <laughs> Thank you, whoever offered these. <laughs> we will now ask Daphne to read it for us live. So here is Daphne Marlott performing Arriving. Arriving for Fred and Pauline. I arrive depleted, cramped, from the embrace of space rushing forward to meet it is, driving very close to flying, not, after all, arms out, but close, gripping the wheel, flashing lights when the oncoming overtaker will not seem to give way, and afterwards the impossibly possible replay, that flight over the edge, over every barrier meant to prevent just such literal taking open space, the car, the overturning opening into a barrage of trees, of scree, of flame. Not curb, which forms part of a gutter, but those curved hindrances to flying off the road, the barricade, once earth-filled barrels, earthy, keep your feet on, in this case wheels, as wheels perhaps have made those breaks in the asphalt painted white or yellow color of warning, keep to your side, those black bituminous falls, whole side of a hill slipping in miniature, whole side of a mountain dropped down on the Hope Princeton. In the Chinese cafe in Princeton, he stopped by their table and said, wasn't that something? F at tours, they were tourists, they were observers in their passing through, she said, from every window in my sister's house, you see only mountains. When he asked how she would like to live like that, she said, I've never thought about it. And the window stops moving, embrasure, slanted, so that its interior will be larger than its exterior. Something to do with the way trees enter you, 
incessant Moybridge movement loops your plastic sunglasses still on the moving dash. Still trees seem to move up against splash as against a rock in the moving stream that keeps you going there at the bottom running east as you do. I borrow a light from her sewing and set it up on their eating table where I type. I have not arrived until I can make arms of the peopled earth push into the river to land. And landed here, ambushed, trees stand up all over the brows of these mountains, not as in Asuis, where she said volcanic ash had ambushed the roses. Sun drops. It drops early here. The valley is so narrow, night, thick with the smell of vegetation rains or the spittle of insects, minute thrilling of their being constantly declared here beyond borders, seeps wet, rousing earth to excel, exceed its turning all these small voices over to the limit of mountains. And even the mountains under cover of dark run on, Range after range, effortless, dreaming, they run on running, earth running, fire running to arrive. Meredith, what's that, what is that drive like? You know that drive, don't you? I know that drive, and it's, it's like the drive from Vancouver inland, um, 450 miles. Um, it, it took, when I last did it, it took nine hours. And I imagine, I mean, some people do a little bit faster, uh, but I know all those curves, you know, the talk about the Hope Princeton slide, going through that slide area. It just looks like a completely devastated, ravaged um, landscape. No trees, nothing. And, you know, all these curves, there's lots of hairpin turns, and finally you arrive at Fred and Pauline's <laughs> uh, wonderful summer place on the lake where I grew up, I, north of them. I grew up north of them. But This poem really speaks to you. Oh, it totally. You know, it, I just sort totally of thought, oh, me. Meredith would be good for this conversation. Yeah, no, and then I realized, I, you really know this. And I have done that drive and arrived at Fred and Pauline's house. And and you know how you are. You, 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 you can hardly stop driving after nine hours. You know, you can still see things coming towards you. I can, I can really relate to that. I want to turn to Fred next. It's, Meredith, a transition from what to what would you say? Uh, you know, from the beginning, the during, and then the arrival. What, can you generalize oh, about that? Oh, God. I mean, there's so much arriving and so much here and thereing going on all the way through this poem for, mm -hmm. on a philosophical level as well as a physical level. I, I felt uh, there was a, a real discussion about being present and, be, and going towards something that you're thinking about, like an idea, mm. and how you can't actually think about the idea and write about the idea, but yet still be present and feel it, like go through it mm. in that way. So that's what it meant for me. Fred, in the in the actuality of the you know the biographical thing here, you're on the receiving end of the arrival, but you certainly know this this journey. Indeed, I do. Uh, hundreds, if not thousands. What is it about that journey that Daphne is capturing so well in this poem? I wouldn't say capturing. Uh, I would say embodying. Uh, she manages to for me, pick out a particular aspect of that drive uh, 
of being there uh, on, the, in that, in the, on that highway and in those mountains and in that place. Some particulars that perhaps aren't part of just driving up there, you know, over nine hours. I mean, it, it, these are, there's a poetic intensity in the poem that is beyond the experience. And that's sort of one of the great advantages of, I guess, of the poetry is that it takes you beyond that physical place yeah. itself. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, I, I'm so stunned to hear Daphne read this poem so perfectly. I just, I'm amazed to hear her voice mm -hmm. uh, articulate this language in such a perfect way because when we read the poem on the page, it's a complicated poem. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, mm -hmm. it's syntactically, uh, the words don't follow as easily as, as she knows they, they're there. Mm. Um, there's an embodiment in the poem that isn't necessarily in the drive. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not about driving. Right. It's, no. it's about, uh, and especially if you read this poem in the context of the whole series here and there, uh, I felt more and more that it was about uh, being present in that Buddhist philosophical way. Mm. And, and the struggle to be present and yet to think, to have ideas and put them down on paper. And it's, it's a, a real tension between that, those two things, um, which as a writer you would feel. Mm. And that becomes a matter of content. That becomes a part of the poem. Uh, clearing a spot at the eating table and typing, which is present tense. And I, wanna, and I think the turn is something to do with, and then the trees enter you, and it really turns toward that. But before we get to that, Daphne, how are we to feel about these tourists in Princeton? That is to say, on the way to the Kootenays, you've got to pass through. There's a, it's the Kootenays, a lot of, I understand there's a lot of tourism in the summer. So how are we to feel about that? Because you're not in paradise yet. No, no. Are the tourists no. part of that not being in Driving paradise? Driving is not paradisical, actually. Right. Um, well, this is not, this is actually not the Kootenays at the point where the tourists are right. talking. Right, you're on the way. Yeah, right. this is, this is, um, one of the towns, Hope is the gateway to the Hope Princeton Highway, and Princeton right. is at, it's an old town, and it's a small town, and to see a tour bus there, like yeah. one of those big tour buses, yes. I don't even know if they pronounce it, if they pronounce it F.A. or F.E.T., but I yeah, just guessed. Your point you know. is made there by just <laughs> using that. I know, I know. And this little snatch of conversation yeah. with them as they, as they pass our table. I, I'm with a friend on this drive, so it's our, um, or we. But um, it's, the, it's the mundane. It's the mundane that enters in. And this also this idea of uh, how would you feel living in this other space? How would you feel? And she dismisses it. But that brings up the whole question of what is the interior and what is the exterior. And uh, I like that for some reason that image of the old windows uh, that were really made for cannon or for firearms where you're, you've got somebody on the inside shooting out and it's through an, a much narrow aperture on the outside than it is on the inside. Mm. And I kind of kind of like that mm -hmm. sense of the 
the mind mm. um, being very large on the inside, but what you see is selective. Mm. Yeah, every perception is actually a selection. And I'm trying not to select too much. I'm trying to let the whole cavalcade of movement. Sounds to me like trees. you're interpreting the poem after the fact, after you wrote it. Well, well, I had to in a way because you know when I when I did when it was included in this tremor love is I rewrote this poem, and I looked at it. I said to myself, "Fuck, you ruined this poem," because you were worried that people wouldn't understand it, and you tried to dumb it down and make it more. Understandable. Understandable. Yeah. And the rhythms were gone. Yeah. So but let's go back to that moment that you're just talking about, yeah. where you, in a sense, learn in the in the it, along the trip, you learn how to look at the trees and the things passing you, to that point where the trees enter you. There's yeah. a change yeah. in consciousness. Yeah. yeah. And you just said cavalcade, I think, or cascade. And here you say Moybridge movement yeah. loops, yeah. right? Yeah. So this is a very important moment where you realize you've got to have an attitude about this place you're about to arrive to. So one question I would have maybe for Meredith is, you know, what is this change? Something to do, and we don't know exactly what the something is, which is a classic poetic move for Daphne, something to do with the way trees enter you. Incessant Moybridge movement loops. What can we say about that for starters? Well, I visualize, in my mind anyway, those Moybridge pictures mm -hmm. where um, he's capturing sort of stopgap motion. And so you get to see somebody, say, jumping uh, over, a over a stick or a horse jumping or something. And there are all these little stills of this this motion. So uh, I'm thinking, so partly what we do is we get these moments of these glimpses that we actually live and we let them inside, but they're actually a whole series of individual glimpses and then eventually it becomes a blur. Uh, one thing that, ca um, that seems to contrast with is the sense of flow. There's a flow going on here of rivers and wheels mm -hmm. and motion. And then there's these stopped, these little well, freeze frames. Well, Moybridge is said to be the precursor for cinema, for the moving image. Yeah. So flow and, is, is relevant. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, in a way, a parallel for picking up on what you just said, Meredith, um, that we get these individual perceptions, these individual moments, we put them together and we make a memory out of it, as if it was a whole thing. Yeah. And the yeah. trees enter you as one receives, would receive motion, watching, for instance, cinema. And Meredith is right, you use the word flow, I think. Yeah. Moving dash, still trees seem to move up against, comma, splash. Mm -hmm. comma, mm -hmm. as against, as against, it's a figuration, it's mm -hmm. not your, as against a rock in a moving stream, those are trees, right. like the stream. So, you know, flow, I've just been reading Roy, Roy Mickey. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the idea of flow is part of our environment, mm -hmm. it's part of our beginning to let the, let the environment enter us. Mm -hmm. Right, so mm -hmm. that we're part of that flow, and that's mm -hmm. setting you up for the arrival. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. Sure, sure, it does. Although, 
I think the poem is not so much about the arrival as about the driving. Right. It's about the movement of I aiming said arriving, something. not arrival. Yeah, yeah. So which yeah. is a process, yes, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay, Fred, we, f we get there, and in the stanza that begins, I borrow a light from her, I, I, I'm going to assume that's Pauline. Mm -hmm. So Daphne almost immediately is ready to write because she sets up oh, her typewriter. typewriter. Yeah, on the table. And, on the table. And it's present tense, Fred, where I type. Is it possible that what she's typing that maybe the next morning after you've arrived could be this poem? The simplest reading of this, which might be mine, is arrival. Whew. I need to write this. It's going to be part of the flow. Uh. <laughs> I told you it was simple. <laughs> because what's that next, that next line? I, I'm going to read the next line and ask all three of you to comment on the next line. Okay? <laughs> I have not arrived. So mm -hmm. I sit down at the table where I type, present mm -hmm. tense. Mm -hmm. As if I'm now typing. You are reading this as I'm typing. I have not arrived until I can make arms of the peopled earth push into the river to land and landed here. All right, who wants to start on that? Meredith, can you make any oh, sense of I that? Can, I, I thought about this a lot. Um, the arms of the peopled earth. Um, because and the, the way I got to it was actually by reading some of the other poems in the Here and There series. And there's a poem called Here. And it refers to a mound uh, that a beaver lives in as a mound of arms. So beavers lived in cut up trees, like chopped up trees, right? And I thought, oh, the, the peopled earth, the arms here are like the arms of trees. But also I felt this contrasted with the arms out in the first stanza where she imagines flying, but not. So if, you, if she's flying off the edge of the road, she, with her arms out, uh, versus this other situation here of, of people that are grounded, that have arms, that are in a way trees. Trees mm. have those. But That's interesting, that connection. But I'm actually using arms here in terms of arms of land. Uh, the river, at certain points, has crossings. And arms, I mean, there is a dam, but yes. And there's... Well, why didn't you say so? <laughs> no, it, there, the, you, you're supposed to have right. necks. Necks of... <laughs> well, I, well, I think of it as an arm of land. So why does Daphne write arms of the peopled earth rather than arms of the earth? Because she's running along and she doesn't know how to stop. <laughs> and you mean typing. Because this is not... That's it, right. That's right, Fred. Yes. No, yes. this is... The arms are not meaningful in any way. I mean, of course they are, but that's, it's just the poem. The poem, what's happening in the poem is that all these words are coming one right after the other. Right. Right? Part and, of the flow. Yeah, and it's a yeah. flow. Yeah. And to put them together and try to quote-unquote interpret them is, a, is, I think, a misrecognition of the, the improvisation uh, of this poem, which is its own composition. Right. And if you stop to worry about what are those arms? <laughs> right. You're in, but, you're in but trouble. Fred, 
I didn't ask yeah, what I mean, the, we I found out ask. how much trouble we're in because she meant something else. In fact, Who cares? How often does the poem talk feature the poem of one of the poem talkers? Yeah. Not very often. Yeah. This is a very <laughs> special situation. Yeah. By the way, for the record, I didn't say what it meant. I was asking us to try to understand, you know, how it is organized or what it is doing. And I think what it's doing is miraculous after the typing. I have not arrived. And the poem's called Arrival, so I have not arrived until. Arriving. 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 Yeah, that's Sorry. important And difference. here we are at this moment when she's saying, I haven't really, there's no arrival yet. There's no arriving until, and then that's going to be important. I mean, your red flags have gone up. Whatever she says now is going to be important to the poem. And what she says is, not until I can make arms of the peopled earth push, a very belated verb, I assume push is an active verb there, mm -hmm. not a noun, mm -hmm. into the river to land, which reproduces the Moybridge flow that we saw earlier. Uh, Fred, yeah, I mean, we're not talking about what it means. We're talking about it yeah, as a are. piece of writing. Oh, I, <laughs> okay. you're, you're, you're trying to interpret it. You're trying to put it together. And I don't think that uh, our, you know, my, my own sense is that to be responsible to this poem is an improvisation. Yes. I need to pay attention to the fact that the, the, all those meanings or the possible contexts and contents mm -hmm. are, uh, they're not central. What's central is the next word. What's central is at any point. At any point, and what moves, and so, it's and what, and yeah. what moves on, and uh, if I stop to try to put it together, it it kind of ambushes me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see, Fred. You're chastising us for focusing too much on what words means, and then you use the key word of the poem. <laughs> okay, you're on, Fred. Tell us about ambushing. Touche. I mean, isn't that a great moment? Isn't We've it? got somebody, presumably Pauline, has talked about, you know, the ash messing up the roses. Um, no, it's not some, Pauline. Some, no, 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 somebody on the road. Somebody, somebody, on, the road. somebody on the road. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah right. that's right. But well, ambush. That's a different cafe because this is in a Suisse. Oh, okay. You, you stop. You make these stops. It's nine hours. It's, right. You make these stops and you pick up bits and we haven't of conversation. Yet. <laughs> no, we haven't arrived yet. It's nine hours. <laughs> right. Okay. And landed here. Period. Ambushed, meaning I'm tired. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Yep. And then ambush comes back. Right. Okay. Well, it's interesting to hear these divergent ways of approaching the poem. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think that, uh, and I'm very interested in how we read this poem as an improvisational poem. It's possible to read improvisation differently than we would read uh, a lyric poem or a poem with a, a kind of context or a content. So. This is a composition, and what I would like to find a way for myself anyway is to a way to read this kind of writing as it is, as, an, as something that is in the moment, moment by moment, rather than trying to frame a, a narrative around it, rather than trying to frame a context around it. And most of Daphne's poetry is always this way. Yes. <laughs> How to read it intelligently though i've never like sat yeah. down and tr okay now this is how i should pay attention to the particulars right. of this right. but 
we do and we can. I mean, it's a little bit like listening to jazz. You, you listen to it and you just, okay, you pick up a few things, a few phrases or a few glibs, glisses here and there and, and that's it. And trying to put it together afterwards, because we have this advantage of publication, right, is... Right. Uh, right. Which the poet cares about enough to have published it three different times in different versions. In different versions, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there are only a couple of word changes between mm. the first and this one. Uh, yeah. Taking, yeah. A, taking a cue from what Fred has just been saying, um, Meredith and Daphne, um, I'll say that I admire poems that do what they say. And this is a classic example of that. This poem tries to create an open space, which is a, sort of another version of the improvisation or the analogy to jazz, an open space and manages in the poem to refer to the open space as something you try to get when you're driving. Mm. It's referred to in the first stanza, the open space of the car, mm. which is probably pretty constraining. But that open space comes to life in the improvisation and the typing. And that is the first instance that we get, Daphne, of the barrage of trees, which becomes so important as a way of seeing. And it seems to me the poem is sort of creating its own open space. Uh, well, it's ongoing, it's ongoing moment by moment space. Right. It's spacing, not spacing out, but right. spacing into. Right. So, yeah, it was a very improvised, improvisational piece. Um, and the fact that it's called arriving, uh, yeah. which does not suggest that crunch of, okay, I'm here. Because, There's no such because thing. Because it's very difficult to actually feel that after a nine-hour drive, you're you feel like you're still yeah, in you're, motion. You're full of the images yeah. of the trees that, and don't forget that most of this drive is past masses and masses of forest. Um, mm. So you've been you've been getting going through that, um, but you know to pick up on the jazz improvisational thread. The way I see Daphne improvising here is in um, echoes of words, for instance, like embrace becomes embrasure mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. ambushed becomes ambushed. There's a, there's a lot of uh, that Splash kind of thing. Splash becomes dash. Uh, that kind of sound mm -hmm. linkage running through the poem that mm. stood out uh, amazingly to me. Daphne, would you mind reading the last stanza for us? Because I think it really does what we've been talking about. Um, things are tumbling forward phrase by phrase. There's even dreaming in there. I would love to hear it again and then we can talk about it. Sun drops. It drops early here. The valley is so narrow. Night, thick with the smell of vegetation rains or the spittle of insects, minute thrilling of their being constantly declared here beyond borders, seeps wet, rousing earth to excel, exceed its turning all these small voices over to the limit of mountains. And even the mountains, under cover of dark, run on, range after range, effortless, dreaming. They run on running, eat earth running, fire running to arrive. Yeah, uh, okay, so what I, one of the things I notice in your work is an enormous tension between the pull of syntax to uh -huh. go on uh -huh. Uh -huh. and uh, line breaks and punctuation. And there's a good example of it in the second last 
stanza that you just read. Okay, so uh, vegetation rains or the spittle of insects, minute thrilling. You you tend to want to stop at thrilling, as that's mm-hmm. the closure of the image, and then but but you. You, you rush on with, of their being constantly declared here beyond the borders. That uh, play between the stopping and the pull of syntax that mm-hmm. goes on past the stop. Well, this is the prose poem, though. This is also challenging the sentence, right? Challenging syntax mm-hmm. to, uh, although we, we get this very misleading fake punctuation uh, that she inserts here and there. <laughs> to make us think we're reading, you know. There, those are little pauses, oh, Fred. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> it makes it look like prose, right? It makes it look like you're reading something that's a phrase it's or a reading. sentence, and, and it's not. They're rhythmic markers. You, above all, ought to know rhythm. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you're, you've misled us. You're setting bad tracks for us. <laughs> Uh, the fra- we've been, I think Meredith in particular, in response to your reading of the last of the end of the poem, talked about run on, yeah, as a writing thing, and of course, running on is what she's perceiving of the experience of this environment. Yes, it's what I meant by I love this poem because it does what it says. It does what and it says, and it runs on because running on is the thing. It keeps mm-hmm. you from definitively arriving because mm-hmm. you're always running on That's right. in the Moybridge sense. Well, you know, I mean, right in the first two lines, too. Uh, uh, from the embrace of space rushing forward to meet, it is driving, but it is driving is a sentence, right? And right. even though there's a period in the middle of it, you're right. pulled through and, and rushing on. And time works this way, too, because when I first read the poem, the first couple of times, I thought, okay, uh, we're going to get somewhere, you know, and there's a narrative. You drive and then you arrive. The poem begins, I arrived depleted. So we're, you know, you're, it's forward, it's back. It's, it's, it's not about the sequence of no, this thing. No, no. I'd be really interested in how, uh, you know, someone who is looking in your Mod Po class, mm. who's looking for poetry, comes on this, and, and how they uh, might read it, because this is a poem that I don't think you can stop. Like, if you start... You, you have to keep going because mm. it's just so leading and mm. there's no, until, it, until there's a blank space at the end. Exactly right. And I think it's possible that someone who had no context and just, you know, came to the poem would do what you were, what you meant when you were chastising us for, you know, focusing too much on on, uh, oh, no, on, I know, on, I wasn't chastising you. I wasn't chastising. Yeah. Well, okay, let me we restate all, it. We all when, look- you re- when you reminded us not to do so much, so much semantic interpretation, um, I think the the the, re- the experience of this is to to get the flow of it. Yeah, yeah. Meredith, I think, I think you used the word Buddhist earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, arriving. The title, that word. Can we, can we figure that out a little more, uh, talk about it a little more? We've talked about it already, so this is probably repeating, but it's not arrived and it's not arrival, it's arriving, a, well, process, I, a process. I came to the conclusion from reading this poem and the rest of the poem, poems in the series here and there, which keep coming back to being here and thinking about a there or perceiving a there. And I, I kept... Uh, 
feeling that what I was experiencing was the actual inability to arrive because as soon as you think you've arrived, you are thinking an idea which is there and not here and not, not, not experience, right? So it's the tension between experience and idea for me that comes out of... So that. how do we experience, thank you, how do we experience the word here? I mean, not just in the title of the book here and there, but here in this poem, uh, in the, the bottom of page 335 of intertitle, um, push into the river to land, and there's one of those periods that Fred was coming on, commenting on, and landed here. How do we read that here? How do you experience that here? Mm, right here on the page, in the middle of a poem. And she's typing. Yeah. This is the improvisation at its best. Yeah. I landed here. This is where I am. <laughs> Ambushed. It's tiring. Yeah. You know, talk about, talking about, I just have to put in a word for my, uh, I have to defend my punctuation. Oh, I, I, I have no... Oh, you should. Yeah, especially to you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think you've Does, been misleading us. Let the record show. These are, these fr these are old friends. Old friends. <laughs> oh, yes, we've had many arguments in the past. But it's Not funny because Daphne has no. corrected my punctuation on occasion, too. Oh, really? Wow. But you, how did that feel? <laughs> well, look, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I want to get down to details, yes. okay? Yep. River to land. Into the river to land. There's a period. Yeah. And landed here. There's another period. Is it a period or a comma? It's a period. Comma. It's a comma. Oh, it's a comma. Oh, it's okay. a comma. We all need glasses. Everybody again. gets the glasses. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. But there's it's that pause of thinking about what's just where the rest in the momentary resting place is in the rush. Yeah. River to land, and then realizing there's more to be said about that, and landed here, and then that goes further. Um, Moybridge used, in order to do his movement photographs of a horse, apparently there was a, an argument about whether when a horse runs, all its, all its hooves are off the ground right. at the same yeah. time. Right. And some people said they weren't, and some people said they were. So what he did was he set up this ground with these little lines, wires across, and at each wire there was a camera so that he could get, when the horse hit the wire, when the horse's hoof hit the wire, it would trigger the camera. So he had these successive moments all of this horse running. And he could prove that, yes, all four hoofs were off the ground at the same time. But it's, that, it's like that's the punctuation. It's like these little wires that... Why didn't you just use the line? Because I'm interested in the way syntax moves forward, as you yourself just said. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of Socratic uh, pulling out this yeah. fabulous stuff. No, no, stuff I, 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 this, oh yes, yeah, he's good. You've at been that. through this he's before. He's good at that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, yeah. I, 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 Daphne's sly. She's using prose as as a way to present us the poem, which is good. Fair enough. That's the prose poem. But the punctuation is, in a sense, misleading because we think of the punctuation as syntactic. The reader thinks of the punctuation as mm, syntactic. That's the expectation. And, yeah. and the writer, Daphne, is thinking of the punctuation as temporal, 
as operating in a, in a much larger way. It's also syntactic, but it's also operating in a larger way. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a, peri uh, you know, a, per a period or a comma right. is important to her. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Part of the experiment of the poem is to create flow while you have those pauses. Mm -hmm. And certainly we feel the flow there and landed here, even though it's surrounded by a comma, a period to precede it and a comma after, and landed here. It's like the best moment of the improvisation. You know, did this, did this, and landed here. Here's where I am. Um, before we go around with final thoughts about this, um, can we talk a little bit about the phrase beyond borders? I love this part where it looks like maybe night swimming there, or at least you're contemplating how dark it gets, how early it gets dark because it's a valley. The insects. Uh, mm -hmm. Vegetation, the yeah. insects, the rains. Um, and there being the insects with their minute thrilling, which is a sound, being constantly declared uh, here beyond borders. Borders, what does that mean? Sweat. Yeah. Well, Fred just took the words out of my mouth, but I wouldn't dare say it that way. <laughs> I hear beyond borders, and I'm just I'm just stunned by it as a description of a very fairly clearly described location. Why is the minute thrilling of these insects at night in the dark? Why is that beyond borders or declared here by? Oh, use your imagination. If you're in some in a strange house yeah. at night with the walls around you and you're hearing that noise outside, right. and you're suddenly realizing there's a whole world, world out there beyond the, the walls. Thrilling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And rousing Earth yeah. to excel. That is such a affirmation of the environment there, right? A border is different from a wall, though. Well, you know, there's an underground uh, that I never thought of here before that I caught. There's a biographical underground here uh, with landed and landed here. Mm -hmm. I was a landed immigrant right. until I became a citizen. Yeah. Yeah. And so borders, borders are important. Forward. Yeah, yeah. I like the way the lines uh, exceed semantic um, paraphrasing. You know, there's, there's a reaching out to a world of living, teeming life outside in the insect world beyond anything we can pin down in any way. Um, and the syntax and the phrasing does that too. It, it, it refuses to be neatly packaged up in any kind of sentence. A parallel to arriving. Yeah. yeah. Let's go around uh, and each offer a final thought, something you wanted to say about the poem, but for some reason the conversation didn't get there. Uh, one last idea uh, can be small or big. Who wants to start? Okay, I'll start. Okay. Because um, we never really did talk about that last stanza that you were interested in. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a, there's buried in that is, is a nod to um, the, Pacific Rim of Fire that we're all on the edge of, uh, and the fact that I was driving into the Kootenays from a city that is, it has constant warnings about being prepared for earthquake. Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. We're, on the, an earth, we're in an earthquake zone. So, uh, and vol that means that tectonic plates have volcanoes in them. So there's that sense of fire always 
underground, always shifting plates, moving the earth. Uh, it's an, it's a, an undying fire. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. Meredith, a final thought? Um, well, this is a, probably, again, a slight side issue, but I, I was captivated by um, the word curb um, and the relationship to rivers and river banks and flow versus bank, escaping out of the banks, you know, that kind of theme also came to mind mm -hmm. uh, improvisationally as I was mm -hmm. reading it. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, thank you. Fred, mm -hmm. uh, another yeah. thought? Well, I think it's a very, it's a very proprioceptive poem. And uh, I don't know whether to sort of say that because I know Daphne's a very, I know that she's a very proprioceptive person and, and writer, but th this is a poem about the shape about shape. It's largely a poem about shapes, architectural shapes and shapes of the terrain, terrain and so forth. Uh, but it's paying attention to the shape she's in, or the, the shape I'm in. Right? What shape am I in? I've arrived uh, depleted. I'm uh, ambushed. I'm, I'm bushed. I'm uh, tired. I, so it's... Uh, I'm fascinated by the way the body mm. has paid attention uh, not just to the terrain or the day and the drive and all that, but to being in the poem. And I don't know where these are coming, like I don't know where Maybridge comes from or, or this, you know, this embrasure. Uh, comes, you know, I don't know how that gets in there. We'll have, to, we'll have to probe Daphne a little bit about that. But I, I think it has to do with the mind going over the notion of shape. Mm. Um, my final thought is, maybe repeats points we've already made, but um, refers to a, a line, some words that we haven't talked about. Um, Fred was just talking about depletion and exhaustion um, and the shape one is in, um, I'm thinking about how good, it, how fortunate it is to be depleted, cramped, uh, wanting open space. That confinement leads to arriving at a beautiful place that you're very excited about getting to. Um, but the, I love the poem because its language is struggling in the same way. The words are struggling in the same way. Only a really depleted, cramped person would say, from the embrace of space rushing forward to meet it is. <laughs> right? And that, that exhaustion leads to some great improvisation and some flow. Because if you were on your game and completely caffeinated and all set and had all day to sit at your desk and type, maybe that wouldn't happen, uh -huh. you know? Uh -huh. So it's fortunate to have to take nine hours to get to paradise. <laughs> yeah, and she, could put, she can put a period after is. Oh, there, I knew that was gonna come back. <laughs> we like to end poem talk with a minute or two of gathering paradise, which is a chance, speaking of paradise, a chance for us to spread wide our narrow hands to gather a little something really poetically good to hail or commend someone or something going on in the poetry world or the art world or whatever world 
you want to talk about. So, Meredith, are you ready to gather yeah, some parents? Yeah, I, I can do that. Um, okay, great. I, I was just going to mention uh, Jacqueline Turner's uh, uh, book, new book, Flourish. It's from ECW Press, uh, 2019. And uh, Jacqueline is a, a quirky, uh, innovative writer, uh, always investigates things, uh, you know, things that you you might not uh, think are like the hippest thing to do, but then you realize, oh, wow, and this, this book is about nostalgia. And she's done a lot of thinking about nostalgia, and there are prose poems in it and lineated poems, and it's a hell of a good book. So Flourish from uh, ECW Press by Jacqueline Great Turner. recommendation. Thank yeah, you yeah. so much. Fred, do you want to gather some paradise? Uh, I stumbled, uh, literally stumbled across a book that, because I was doing a piece of writing that involved South America and the equator, and uh, I stumbled across this poet who had been at the Vancouver Poetry Festival last fall, who, which I don't go to, and uh, so I hadn't met him. His name's Kai Kolo. He's a... He's in Montreal. He's a Montreal poet now. Uh, grew up in Red Deer, Alberta, I think. Uh, he's a mixed race person. Uh, and he wrote a book of poetry called Magnetic Equator. Uh, it's a stunning uh, display of biotext and, and uh, 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 forms of poetry that that I'm interested in, but it also, well, it's just an incisive book of poetry, yeah. a very incisive book of poetry. I've never met the man. Yeah. Uh, I've corresponded with him, and uh, it's one of the exciting things about poetry, the mm. poetry community, is that these things happen, and they, you know, they, they kind of grow. Yeah. So it turns out that uh, Kai and I are both involved in a, in a, in a collaborative project that we didn't know about, like we didn't know each other was involved in it. Oh, nice. <laughs> and mm. he's doing one That's part cool. of it, and I'm doing mm. another part of it. Mm. And the poem that I was writing that, uh, that involved the equator, was be he came into it. Mm. Just like, a weird mm. coincidence. Mm. So, That's really anyway, cool. Kai Kolo, Magnetic Equator. Magnetic Fantastic equator. recommendation. Mm. And I'll also add that there's a, in Modpo, there's a, a video about a Kai Kolo poem, actually two, mm. huh. uh, that's been there since our trip to Montreal a year ago. I'm really happy to discover oh, that work. Oh, gotta look at that. Yeah, really cool. Daphne. Oh. Gather some paradise. Well, it's, it's, not, it's not a very recent book, but it's one that I'm very excited about. Um, it's a book that a friend brought back from England, um, Dart by Alice Oswald. Yeah, I've, I've spoken to Fred about it, and he knows the book. Um, it's an astonishing linguistic uh, exploration of a river from its source to actually two streams that join down to the mouth. The River Dart. It, yes, the River Dart runs through Dartmoor, and it, the language in it is incredible because it ranges from quite old-fashioned versions of English to uh, Devonshire colloquialisms to these beautiful uh, onomatopoeic words. 
Uh, and it's all, and she took three years. She interviewed people who worked on the river or had, or swam in the river or canoed on the river. Um, and she has taken what they told her. So it's a kind of oral history in mm. a way, but totally transformed mm. into the voice of the river, which involves some of the, what was told to her by her interviewees. Uh, and it's, it's, it is, it's yeah. just, it's, it's a transformation. That's all I can say. It's a la mm. linguistic transformation of a river. Something that very much interests you. Yeah. And we're yeah. just yesterday talking about a poem about Steve's the mouth of a river. Yeah, yeah. Fraser River. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I have um, some gathering paradise having to do with some people in the room in our audience. Um, first of all, uh, Maria Hindmarch. Um, I want to recommend a poem talk we did a year ago about a poem called Kitsilano. And it was in talking about Kitsilano with Aaron Moray and Kara Shearer and Deanna Fong that led me to realize that Deanna and Karis have been working on a collected poems. So in March 2020, one can get the collected poems of Mariah Hindmarch. Um, Jenny Penberthy is here, and we spent a wonderful hour or so today talking about Lorene Niedeker, some video that will be available soon. And I just want to shout out to a book published by the University of California Press, which is The Collected Poems of Lorene Niedeker, and there isn't anything better than to have that book, which is just amazing. Although Jenny told me today that she found another poem, yeah. too. <laughs> oh my goodness, what are you going to do? The fate of the editor. But that is a magnificent book about a magnificent poet. Um, and then there's George Bowering, whom we met with today, and we talked about two poems. One of them is Big Glimmer. It is just a perfect poem. And in a couple of months, it'll be easy to find on YouTube or in Modpo a video of George and Karis Shearer and myself talking about that marvelous poem. Well, that's all the, uh, that's all the spittle of insects minute thrilling we have time for on Poem Talk today. <laughs> Poem Talk at the Writer's House is a collaboration of the Center for Programs and Contemporary Writing, the Kelly Writer's House at the University of Pennsylvania and the Poetry Foundation, poetryfoundation.org. Thanks to my guests, and maybe you'll help me thank them, Daphne Marlott, Fred Waugh, and Meredith Quatermain. Yeah. And to Poem Talks directors and engineers today, Zach Cardner and Chris Martin, right here, these two guys. And to Poem Talks editor, who's got quite a job ahead of him, because we're going to take out all of Fred's being grumpy about punctuation. No, we're not taking any of that. No, there's no editing to be done at all. That's, if we do that, we'll have to remove what I just said, so that's not going to happen. Because then they'll know something was removed, and there'll be complaints because he was the Poet Laureate, and people follow everything that he does, and there's no, there's no suppressing him. <laughs> and that I know of. And once again, many thanks to uh, Dick and Lucy Cook. Uh, I don't know if they're in the room still. Yeah. And their family for hosting us here at their lovely home in Vancouver. And to all the Vancouverites, is that the way you say it? Vancouverites? Yes, in this room who have been so hospitable to us during our short visit. And a shout out to Nathan and Elizabeth Light for their very generous support of Poem Talk. This is Al Phil Reese. And I hope you'll join us again soon and for another episode of 
poem talk. Yes. You forgot one. We all want to do it. And to Al Phil Race, who, oh, who has started and continues this amazing sequence. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jackie.